0: So welcome to Sisterhood. We are almost towards the end, which is exciting and fun because that means you've learned a lot of things, but bittersweet because sad. You guys never want it to be the end. Um, this week we're talking about He is Lord, and I love the things that we've learned thus far. He is our shepherd. He is our teacher. He is our helper. He's our redeemer. He is Lord. And although we know that to be true, he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He always has been and he always will be. There's something about just meditating on the fact that he is worthy to be called Lord of everything. And King of Kings, and this week I just found myself as I was praying about this and thinking on this, I was extra weepy and I know I'm weepy all the time, but this week was extra weepy and and, and it's not that time of the month and I'm not pregnant. So I knew it wasn't that. It just really was the fact that There's something about saying his name. There's something about saying the name of Jesus and really, really believing that it truly is the name above every name. That it truly is the name that can defeat anything. That it truly is the name that holds all victory, holds all hope, holds anything we need in the name of Jesus. And so my prayer today was that as I say the words that I've put on paper, that you too would just be challenged to meditate on the fact that what does Lord mean to me and what does the name of Jesus mean to me? And I mean, it's amazing even just how it started, right? 2,000 years ago, there was a Virgin Mary who gave birth to a son and she was to name him Jesus. And we see in Luke 2.11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Lord is written in Greek and Hebrew in the Bible and it's been translated to mean a master, an owner, a controller, one with dominion and authority. So then we know when we read in Revelations 17, 14b, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. He is owner of all. He is master of all. He rules with dominion and authority. Psalm 135, 5 through 6, For I know that the Lord is great. Our Lord is above all gods. All gods, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven, in earth, in the seas, and in all the deep places. He owns everything and whatever he pleases, he does. And I'm thankful to know that truth. I'm thankful to know those truths because that means when I read his word that I can believe that he will do what he says he will do because he is able and he is capable of doing it. I choose that king, ladies. I want to follow that king. Amen. Yes. King of all kings, Lord of all lords. In sixth grade, I still remember where I was sitting. I was in Decor, Iowa at Luther College at summer camp. And I decided at at that age, at the age of 12, that that's when I was gonna give my life to Jesus. And I was gonna declare and I was gonna confess that he was Lord of my life. And I did what it says to do in Romans 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made until salvation. And I said that, and I prayed that, and then I know, I believe it or not, I cried, and I cried my eyes out, but I was so overwhelmed, even at the age of 12, that the one who created the universe, the one who is in charge of everything, would choose me would choose to love me, would choose to go to the cross for me, not because he loves me only, but he actually likes me. He actually wants to be with me. He actually desires me. He chose me, the one that can do whatever he pleases, chose to save us. And I'm thankful for that. Paul wrote in Philippians about his obedience to death. He says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Don't miss that. That at the name of Jesus, Jesus. Every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's been highly exalted, ladies, and it says that it's the name above every name. And we have to understand that when we do what it says in Romans and we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we're not creating a new reality. Jesus is Lord, period. We don't make him Lord. God does. So we're just... Agreeing, we're declaring. Confess means to declare, profess, to come into agreement. So when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, we're actually stepping under a banner, if you will, so to say. Just imagine there's a banner or a tent or an umbrella that says, Jesus is Lord. He has lordship over my life. We're not making him Lord, he already is Lord. We get to choose if we're going to stand under this umbrella. Because he gives us a choice. He said, you can camp out, you can live wherever you want to live. Do you want to stand under the umbrella or do you want to stand over here? Because even if we choose to stand over here, he's still Lord. That truth doesn't leave us. He's still Lord. It's just that he's doing his thing for the betterment of mankind without me beneath it. I'm missing out. 500 other people could be standing underneath there. So we have an invitation, so to say from him, to step under this umbrella that says Jesus is Lord and make a decision that I am going to make him Lord over my life. Jesus is Lord. Are you choosing to live under the banner? Are you choosing to give him lordship over your life? And if you answered yes to that question, then my next question would be, do your actions show it? Hmm. Because it's not enough to just believe. Maybe you've heard people say the devil even believes. And I don't know that it's even enough to say it because sometimes talk is cheap and giving him lip service isn't giving him lord, lordship over our lives. Unfortunately, a lot of people say things they don't mean. Sad but true, and I, I think, but how do we know, I guess I should say it this way, how do we know they mean what they say? Because their actions back it up, because there's behavior that follows it. They say something, and then we look at what they do, and then we trust that they really mean what they say. For example, if my husband tells me he loves me, but his actions never show it, and it's always his, we or the highway, and he never says anything nice to me, and he never sacrifices anything to do what I want to do, then when he says he loves me, do I... Do you really love me? Because you're not acting like you really love me. In a marriage, if I pour out extravagant love to my husband, there's a natural expectation, ladies, that he's going to love me back. Have you ever just poured out extravagant love in a relationship and had the door slammed in your face? It's painful. And it's no different than our relationship with Jesus. He pours out this extravagant love for us. He goes to the cross. He dies this terrible death which makes him Lord over all. And he desires nothing more than for us to step under this umbrella. To not slam the door in the face but to actually open the door. To invite him in. To say he can have it all. To love him so deeply, so intimately that when we say he is Lord, our actions show it. And we actually mean what we say. Extravagant love poured out requires a response, and that response is our responsibility. A few years back I was visiting with a missionary who had just been in the Philippines and they were taking the Jesus film to these remote villages. They had a hike by foot and they were going, they got to one where there was quite a few people that could be in attendance. And I imagine if you don't have electricity in the middle of a remote village, you probably have not a whole lot to do on a Friday night. So going to a Jesus film, even if you don't know, sounds like a really good idea. So that night they had hundreds of people show up. And they started watching the video. And the missionary said they were about five minutes in. And people were clapping and cheering as Jesus was doing his stuff. And she's like, oh my goodness, they are going to love this. And then they're going to hate it when he gets to the cross. And they get to the end where they start crucifying. And they start nailing him to the cross. And they said that the audience was completely silent. And then you heard loud weeps and whales, because in a matter of an hour, these people had seen extravagant love poured out and it required a response and they couldn't believe that somebody would do that. And then, they, and then three days later, what happened? He raised from the graves and he's defeated death and the grave. He defeated any other name that could ever try to vie for authority on this earth. And so they just uproar into this great applause. They couldn't believe it that that's really the story that they just witnessed. And so that night as the missionary gave an altar call and said, is there anybody here that wants to believe Believe in their heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you want to live a different way from now on. They ran to the front and they were like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm under this umbrella. They had never heard. They didn't know that was an opportunity, that if you live under this umbrella, you will be abundantly blessed. You get to choose if you do it. And then you have to know the last part of the story, not even because it's necessarily fits into this, but because Pastor Rob says if it bothers him, he wants to share it so it bothers you too. This bothered me. The next day, an 80-some-year-old lady showed up at the same place and she was looking for the missionary and she grabbed an interpreter and she went to the missionary and she said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. And she said, how long ago did that happen? And the missionary hung his head in shame and said, 2000 years ago and her eyes welled up with tears and she said why didn't anybody tell me till now that bothers me because we know a truth that sets people free and yet we choose to not share and she was so saddened by the fact that she had lived 80 years living for herself not knowing that there was another option to live a better life for Jesus that's extravagant love and I think sometimes it's stories like that that cause me to do a heart check Emily, what are you living for? And are you hanging on to things too tightly that don't, you don't need to hang on to? And I thought maybe I could explain it this way. But in this chair here, we have the mind chair. And if you're in this chair, it might be because you've never heard the name of Jesus, like this woman who lives in the Philippines. But other, others of us have heard it. And still we choose to sit here. I'm just going to show so the people... on And yet we choose to sit here because we're more interested in creating our own kingdom than kneeling to his kingdom. We'd rather worship the things created instead of the creator. And we say things when we sit in this chair like, this is my future. These are my friends, my sports, my relationships. It's my work. It's my money. My, it's my Sunday. I'm going to do what I want on my Sunday. And you know what? It's actually my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, my Thursday, my Friday. You get the point. It's all mine. I don't stop to think about what maybe he would want to do on those days. And some of us may be in this chair, the maybe chair. You've said That he is Lord. Maybe you believe he's Lord, but maybe just kind of maybe you want him to be Lord over your life, but just maybe Lord over some and not over all. Because if he was Lord over all, it could be inconvenient for us. And so we just want him to be Lord over some when it benefits us or when it's easy for us. In the maybe chair, you might even use the right words. You might even say, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? But then you run to five different people and you listen to what they say instead of waiting to hear what he says. Lord, Lord, I I understand this is your money you've given me. What do you want me to do with it? And yet then you don't surrender to listen to what he says. You just go out and spend it however you want. And in this chair, I would say even sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, ladies, so I'm not pointing any fingers. We take the Bible and we rip out pages and we say, well, I kind of like the God loves part, but I don't really like the cheerful giver part. Well, I like that he says this, but I don't like that. And we pick and choose what we want to listen to, and that's a dangerous place to camp out. Because look what it says in Luke 6, 46 through 49. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey... Is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floodwaters sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Look at that first question. So why do you keep me calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Hmm. That question got me. See, we love the idea of him being Lord. We love the thought of being saved. We love the security of eternal life, but we still fail to give him lordship over all. We don't want him to be commander officer because, like I said, it might be a little uncomfortable. And if you're sitting in the maybe chair, you have yet to grasp the truth that it's actually better for us to give him all than to do it our own way. And so then that brings us to the last chair. This is the master's chair. This would be our goal. This would be hashtag goals, although that's probably completely outdated now. This would be where you'd say, if Jesus isn't Lord over all, then he isn't Lord at all. Or I've heard it said, the kingdom without the king is just dumb. It's true. if you're in the master's chair you're starting to grasp the fact that he is Lord over all. And let me tell you something. It doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean that we never mess up. It's not even about how good we are or the good works we've done. It's a condition of our heart. It means that we've believed, we've confessed, and we've submitted to the master. We get that. We get the fact that, Lord, you can have it all. And we, do, we go over and we pick up things like our Wednesday and we say, Lord, you can have my Wednesday. What do you want me to do today? And Lord, you can have my money. Where would you like it to go? And one by one, we start moving things over to the master's chair with open hands. See, when we sit in the master's chair, we sit in a posture of hands like this. Like, Lord, it's all yours. You can have it. And when we sit in the master's chair, we raise our hands up and we praise him, even when we don't feel like it. When we sit in the master's chair, our mouth just sings things and confesses how good he is, even when it doesn't look like it in the natural. When we sit in the master's chair, we have a heart posture of gratitude. Because we're thankful no matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't mean it's always easy, ladies. And it doesn't mean it's always fun. But when we sit in the master's chair, we understand that he gets all the glory. Jude 25 says, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Do you know what glory means? It means to esteem a person. We live in a world where there's so much stuff that's vying for our attention, that's vying to have authority over things. And when you sit in the master's chair, you understand that the only thing that's worthy to esteem is Jesus. And everything else fails in comparison. When you sit in the master's chair, ladies, you understand that he alone is wise. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And if we really focus, not like run around and then stop for five minutes, but if you really focus and you sit, And you think about how wise he is. You can't help but give him glory. In the master's chair, you've had a revelation of his love and you actually don't want to live for anything else but him. And it's not a have to, but it's a get to surrender to him. James had that revelation. Look at James 1.1. James, a bond servant of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say James actually moved from sitting in the master's chair to kneeling before the masters. He calls himself a bond servant. He understood that he is the master of all masters. And sometimes master comes with an negative connotation because we've been maybe taught that we have to do things a certain way or look a certain way to be a Christian and and some of us maybe even picture Jesus standing there with a whip in our hand waiting for us to make a mistake so that he can quick correct us and say oh no 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 but that's not who he is you guys he's so gracious that he gives us plan a and you know what if we mess it up he gives us plan b then he gives us plan c and plan d And if you're like me, E-F-G-H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P. And I'm so thankful that he is gracious. But I also understand that if I'm sitting in the master's chair, sometimes correction is needed. It's not out of his hate for me, though. It's out of love. It's out of protection for myself. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's actually a God thing when he corrects us. Look at Hebrews 12. 5 through 11, it says, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, Whew. and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? That's truth. If God doesn't discipline as you as, as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. So that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. That's the truth. It's painful. But afterwards there will be a peaceful, peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. We understand that discipline yields good fruit. It's for our protection, our benefit, our blessing. When you're sitting in the master's chair, you understand that it's best to trust him over yourselves. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So lean not on your own understanding. Well, if I'm in the mind chair, ladies, I'm leaning on my own understanding. And when the winds come and the rains come, what did it say? That your house isn't built on a firm foundation. So you know what? Very easily collapsible. And even in this maybe chair, when the rains come and the winds blow a little bit, yeah, it might be a little harder to collapse, but it's still collapsible. And so really the only wise thing to do is to set yourself in the master's chair because this chair is firm, it's steady, it's faithful, it's trustworthy. And this is the only thing when the winds come and the rains come that that this is the only thing that will stay steadfast. The only thing, everything else in this world, your sports, your days of the week, your money, your friends, your relationship, all of that will get blown away if a strong wind comes. But he, the Lord of all, the name above every name, the name that was exalted at the death of the cross, will stand firm forever. Amen, that's right. And I would say this, no matter where you came in this morning, whatever chair you're sitting in, I would just challenge us to have a from now on moment. Because even though we might be here one day, there's temptations, right, to go just kind of sneak back to the maybe. There's things in our life that maybe pull us back to the maybe. And so I would say, Lord, reveal to me the things that are pulling me back to the maybe chair, so that I can identify them, and I can say from now on, I give this to God. Okay, maybe it's money, maybe it's whatever you know what it is that's in your life that you're holding on just a little too tightly to. From now on, God, you can have it. From now on, it's your way. And I want to end with one story, quick, because it's too good not to share, and um, I think you're gonna like it, and you'll rejoice with me. But. About five years ago, I was on a global team to a country in the middle of an unreached people group, and we were in a village, they call it, of a million people. I know that doesn't sound like a village, but it was. And we went to the top of the mountain, and we prayed over this village of a million people. And while we were there, the missionary there said, You guys, I know two believers in this village. Two. And so we continued to pray out, and then he took us to this little juice shop. You were with me. He took us to this little juice shop. and he introduced us to the owner of the Jewish shop and he began to just share something and the missionary was so gracious to interpret everything for us and the man got to a point in the conversation where he said I really, really want my wife to have a baby boy and when the missionary told me that, I just really quickly said, well, can you tell him that I believe in a God named Jesus who loves us and who can do miracles and can give him a baby boy? I don't know if I should have said that right away, but I did. And, so, and I don't know. The missionary said he interpreted it, Really, I have no idea what he said back to him. I trust he told him what I said. And then I said, can I pray for him? So he asked him, can she pray for you? And he said, yeah, and he, re- he received it. And so I began to pray what I would call pretty passionate prayer in the middle of an unreached people group where you're not supposed to say the name of Jesus. It wasn't real quiet. It was kind of loud. So then by the time I got to the end of it, the whole team was gathered around us because they knew what was happening. And we got to the end, and in River Valley style, we ended it with amen and amen. Okay, now fast forward a couple years. Some of the people that were on the team with us went back to that same juice shop to talk to the same juice owner and when they got there he had a picture of our team and him on the wall and they giggled and chatted and talked about that and then he went hang on just a moment and he ran back to his desk and he came out with a picture and he said this is my baby boy And you prayed for my wife to have a baby boy, and she had it. And when you prayed, I'd never felt or experienced anything like that before. So my baby's boy name is Amen. (laughs) Because when you were done, everybody said Amen and Amen. And you want to know what? Right now, somewhere in the middle of an unreached people group in just a few years, there's going to be a little boy that's walking around with the name Amen. Amen. And that's not a common name in this part of the world. And so people are going to say, why is your name Amen? And he's going to say, because my dad got prayed over by a crazy lady from America who (laughs) believed in Jesus. And he said he never felt anything like that before, so he had to name me. Amen. That's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He does what he pleases so that he can get all the glory. So, Lord, we trust you. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the name above every name. And there's going to be a day that every tongue confess and every knee will bow at your name. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.